Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange, Office 365, and Skype for Business podcast. Today's episode was recorded on Saturday, the 18th of April, 2015. I'm your host, Skype for Business MVP, Pat Richard. Before we uh, begin here, uh, a bit of information about our wonderful sponsors who make it a little bit easier to bring you this podcast. Event Zero has the most advanced analytics and reporting for Link and Skype for Business available today. With over 12,000 reports, power lists, and dashboards, the comprehensive tool set covers all modalities in a high level of detail, many of which provide administrators with real-time feedback about their environments. Watch for their new Polycom VVX provisioning tool coming very soon. To check them out, go to eventzero.com. Uh, and today I'm joined by uh, Dave Stork and Tim Harrington, kind of a small crew for us today. Welcome, yeah. guys. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks, Pat. Yeah, Tim, you haven't been here in a while, so uh, yeah, it's glad to have you back. It's been a while. I've dusted off the microphone. I'm, I'm back. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, top story is, of course, the big one uh, since the last episode was uh, the release of the Skype for Business client. Um, big uh, anticipation around this and of course uh, lots of uh, blog posts and articles about how to help get it deployed in the uh, in your environment and everything a new look that uh, you know is now much closer to the consumer product um, Tim you guys are probably rolling it out to a bazillion uh, uh, seats with your customers uh, have you had any feedback with it yet yeah, I guess you say rolling it out or getting it pushed out uh, via Windows updates. So, uh, as you know, this is now a uh, just the hotfix or, or an update to the current Link client. So it's now shipping with two scans, a Link scan and a Skype UI scan. Um, so it's getting pushed out whether you like it or not, and depending on whether the organization has, has uh, kept up with news and have stopped any downloads from potentially going out. But... Yeah, it's rolling out, and as we speak today, it's it's out in the wild. Um, so we are seeing it quite a bit out in the industry, and so far, I've, I've you know a lot of good feedback. Uh, it's it's different. You know, it's funny that uh, what what type of feedback that you do get. The uh, one thing I hear is, "Hey, the the emojis are cool again." Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's funny that such an enterprise class tool that. You know, people care about the um, uh, the emoticons so much, and uh, it seems to actually be good feedback on those. You, you um, know, um, that was one of the – I find this funny, too, is that that was one of the most uh, voted on items at link.ideascale.com was yes. people did not like the previous uh, uh, emoji. Yeah, and they're they're actually decent, but I hate to talk about, you know, emoticons uh, for, for <laughs> enterprise clients, so – um, yeah, I mean, it, I personally really enjoy the client. You know, some of my favorite features are they've removed all the hover actions from the link. So it was really hard in link to find stuff or to not misclick on things. Um, now you actually click to get to the next menu in the Skype client, which is great. Um, and really, to me, one of my favorite features is the floating uh, call control window. Because I personally always have, you know, 50 windows open at a time, and I lose track of where that link window is, or I guess I should say Skype for business window is while I'm working on other things. And when I'm trying to unmute myself or see an IM that pop up, I, I never can find that window quickly enough. So now there is a floating window uh, 
mine's in the, the top right window, and all you have to do is find it and double-click on it, and it'll bring your current conversation to the foreground, which is nice. Yeah, and that's uh, that's always on top, too, so uh, it makes it really easy. Yep. Um, yeah, um, you know, like it, like I mentioned earlier, there's uh, there's been a lot of information out about how to deal with it. You know, as you mentioned, uh, it's coming down as a Windows update. Um, some organizations can elect to stop the update from happening. Um, you can also control which skin your users see by setting uh, the enable Skype UI option in your client uh, policies. Um, it's set to null, I think, by default, and you can set it to uh, enabled or false. Uh, and that will control uh, which skin they see, although uh, if you set it to false so that they see the, they continue seeing the Link 2013 client, uh, the first time they boot the client after they get the update, they still see the, the uh, Skype for Business skin for a minute until the, the client picks up the policy and realizes it needs to switch back. But um, pretty interesting. I, I've gotten a lot of feedback on the change in sounds. In fact, that was the first thing I heard feedback on was, hey, all the, all the sounds changed. Yes. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's getting a, bit, a little bit of used to, getting used to. Yeah. I mean, just like, yeah, the, just like the emoji. I mean, you know, it's, it's a business critical application <laughs> here. Uh, really, the emoji and the sounds really should be less of an issue. Yeah, they... they they fixed the emojis, but now the sounds, I feel like uh, the fairies are coming and sprinkling dust on me every time I get a phone call. <laughs> uh, with, <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's okay. Um, you know, g- going back to your, your UI control pad, it, there's kind of two levels of UI control here. There's the centralized server policy, and then there's a first-run uh, policy as well, which is can be controlled through the registry or GPO. Right. So, like you you said, they're always going to see that Skype UI from a first run, unless you set that registry before the in-band provisioning actually happens. Right. So, if you don't want the Skype UI to actually happen, uh, administrators do need to deploy that registry uh, entry, which can be found uh, from a link on our website. Yeah, and that's uh, that can be pushed out through a, a GPO. Um, yep. But if you stick your users, keep your users on the Link 23, uh, 2013 skin, there are some changes that still happen. Um, yep. they, they still get the new sounds. Uh, meeting requests still mention uh, Skype calls. So uh, the link to join the, the meeting says join Skype call, even if they're on the Link 2013 skin. Um, so those, those two things, you know, you, you might still, uh, the help desk phone might ring a little bit about that. Uh, and and the, the, uh, the button in, in uh, Outlook also changed to uh, Skype for Business. Yes, yeah, uh, yeah the, the toolbar meeting, button. button. Yep. Yeah. Um, there, there's one issue that I've heard about, and that is um, uh, regardless of which skin you have, if you do a meet now and invite somebody by email, uh, the email still mentions link, even if they're on the Skype for UI uh, or Skype for Business UI. So uh, just something to keep in mind. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's nice, you know, if uh, if your users have used uh, the consumer version uh, before, they're they're going to feel, I think, a lot more at home uh, when they when they first start using this. Um, you know, lots of nice features like uh, Tim, like you said, there's no hovering really anymore, which is kind of nice. 
So yeah, and, I, and I'm glad Microsoft went with the uh, dual UI patch instead of two separate clients. I thought that was really smart. And and you know there are some of these nuances with the sounds and the links and the mm-hmm. kind of the icons, which you can only do so much with a dual UI client. But I'm glad that they stuck with that because it just makes it so much easier on administrators to manage rollouts uh, for the new UIs. Right. A lot, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to stage that stuff too. So, you know, you can, you can prepare your training materials and everything. And then once, once the users are trained for what the, what's going to change, you know, you flip your client policy and, and boom, they get the new skin. Um, so yeah, I, I agree that, that that was a good move. Um, all right. Next up, uh, some exchange topics, Dave, this is, <laughs> All you and I, I think. Uh, although, Tim, you're, yeah. you're an old exchange guy, too. So, um, Exchange 2013 Performance Health Check Script. Yeah. So uh, I took a quick read through this, but uh, tell us what this is about. Well, it's a, a script by uh, someone from the uh, Exchange Product Group, and it, it's um, a uh, well, as the man, name mentions, it's a health check script, and I, I just uh, tested it on one of my lab servers, and um, it checks uh, several things, um, uh, best practices, uh, certain best practices, um, and suggests uh, some fixes if they aren't met with the best practices. And it uh, uh, creates a um, good overview of the hardware used or whether the, whether the server is virtualized, um, uh, whether the server is multi-role or single-role, um, and, and you can run it on a single server or on multiple servers at once. So you can get uh, very quickly a, a good overview of uh, the, the configuration of uh, your Exchange servers and uh, included with that some uh, checks, uh, uh, best practices, uh, uh, checks and suggestions. So um, if you... Um, Go to a new environment. You haven't uh, worked with uh, the, the exchange organization yet. This is one script that can help you uh, get a get a grip on the situation uh, very quickly. Um, but also for for uh, admins in in their own exchange environment, they can run this script um, and and check whether everything is okay or not. And um, so it's a it's a little script. You can download it uh, from the uh, TechNet gallery. Just run it, and uh, it's a very simple uh, syntax, and then you get a lot of uh, useful information out of it. So yeah, I'm uh, yeah happy. Yeah, this this is pretty interesting, um, and it was done by Roderick Milney, who's a PFE at Microsoft, and uh, some people might recognize that name because he's pretty uh, he's pretty active on TechNet, providing answers and stuff on the TechNet forums. So and has a lot of good blog posts, but he actually didn't didn't write the script though. He wrote the uh, uh, blog post, and the uh, script was written by Mark Nivens. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, good. We'll give uh, credit where it's due. Great. <laughs> sure. And anything but, uh, that reports on, on uh, health is always a good thing. I know that you know we do a lot of yeah. that with uh, Link. So uh, sure. Um, some but, people uh, some people don't know where to look for you know to to check their health, and something that you know some PowerShell script that can do uh, you know most of the work is uh, certainly welcome. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, the blog post by, by Roderick has uh, uh, some syntax examples for for just checking one single remote server or um, uh, all servers in the organization. And there's also a uh, uh, mailbox report uh, possibility and stuff like that. So uh, really check that out. 
Okay. Uh, <clears throat> OCAT, Office Communication Analyzer Tool. Uh, there's a new version out. There was, uh, I think the first version yep. was uh, out, uh, I don't know, a year or so ago. And uh, Microsoft's got a new one out. It's on the Exchange Team blog. So uh, what can we see with this? Well, the, the, the OffCAD, uh, just like the previous version, is just a uh, scanning tool um, to investigate any issues with your Office installation. Um, and it um, um, it works with Office uh, 2013, and I believe it also works with uh, 2010 and uh, 2007, but I'm not quite sure about that. Um, and you can um, uh, let it scan all your your complete uh, Office suite or just specific applications, um, and it um, uh, will list a uh, all issues, um, um, and you can filter all those issues by critical or, or important or stuff like that. And the best thing is that in the issue description of an issue, uh, most of the times you have a link to a possible solution online. Um, so you can, can fix that um, quite easily. Um, other issues is that you have um, um, some uh, real-time monitoring. You can, can scan um, um, uh, when there are issues, uh, uh, real-time error and crash detection. Um, so if you ran, have an issue with an application that doesn't start or starts and crashes immediately, or you have just an issue, uh, you can run uh, that real-time scan and then uh, uh, with OffCAD, and then when the crash happens, and OffCAD can um, uh, check for any solutions, um, and you can get some more information about what what the issue is. For instance, there are some sometimes there are some issues with the hardware acceleration. Um, well, and that is a known issue, um, and that OffCAD can provide a solution to to mitigate those problems. Okay. And it also has a, has a has a button in the uh, in Office programs uh, of a ribbon tab actually, and there you have some additional options. So you don't have to um, run the OffCAD application just separately, but you can run it from uh, within. Um, I believe that is a Office uh, 2013 capability. Um, so um, it's it's a very complete and very. Uh, um, um, uh, yeah, a helpful tool uh, with a lot of options. Um, um, uh, unfortunately, um, it, it, it has a lot of uh, products of the Office Suite that it scans, including OneDrive for Business, which I was very happy about, even InfoPath that, that is uh, killed. Um, but it doesn't have a check for a Link 2013 or Link for Business, unfortunately. So that's a, that's a, that, that's a miss. Hmm. Okay. Well, if it doesn't support uh, Link or Skype, I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, no, that's that's cool because you know uh, uh, I can certainly use stuff like this once in a while too, as uh, as things not working right. But uh, yeah, it looks like it's got uh, quite a bit of features here. So. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I just scratched the surface on on what I uh, tested myself. Um, for uh, for instance, you have a calendar checking tool. Um, well, the, the, the blog post of the Exchange uh, uh, product team that uh, focuses obviously on the Outlook uh, capabilities of this tool. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, uh, I already immediately suggested it to 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 one uh, to several of my colleagues when they uh, mentioned some issues with Office, and they said, well, they 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 
most of them could fix it with this tool over with the suggestions that the tool makes. So, yeah, this is a, a, a must-have tool um, for any uh, desktop engineer or even admins. Okay, good. Um, Apple, uh, of course, John's not here to uh, cheer for Apple, but uh, uh, they've <laughs> released iOS 8.3, and uh, that that's key here for uh, our listeners because it fixes a bunch of uh, exchange-related issues. Um, right. Yeah, uh, AccuSync issues specifically, obviously. Uh, well, the the the, the issue. Uh, there are several issues, of course, that they fix, but for, uh, related to Exchange. Um, well, there's one new feature is that you can um, edit out of office messages uh, separately, internally and uh, external replies. Mm -hmm. You now can uh, edit separately, apparently, um, and that's that's uh, um, especially well uh, if you have an out of office. Uh, for, for those that don't know, um, uh, you can set a out of office uh, message for your internal users, so your coworkers and 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 uh, um, your your manager and stuff like that. But it's also possible to have a different uh, out of office message for uh, external users. And um, well, you, you probably want to have a different message for your coworkers um, than for your uh, customers or external contacts. And uh, having the ability to uh, set that in your uh, iPhone or iPad is uh, well is, is a big thing. Well, big thing. It, it's it's an important uh, addition because. Um, Everybody forgets to set his uh, out-of-office reply, and, and you, you, most of the times you, you uh, remember to uh, do it at the airport, or in any case, you don't have Outlook anymore, and then you are, you're stuck. But now with this option, you can, can uh, set it in, uh, in, with your device if you have an iPhone or an, uh, an iPad. So that, that's helpful. Um, uh, and another uh, uh, fix... Well, that is a feature, and uh, the, the fix is, uh, one of the fixes is that um, some exchange meetings, and I think um, mostly with recurring uh, meetings, but I'm not sure about that, but um, some uh, meetings that had long notes uh, uh, were truncated, so you would miss uh, information uh, in the meeting, um, in the description of the meeting. So um, that is fixed, that... Uh, those won't be truncated anymore. So that is, is a big help for, for uh, those who um, use those descriptions very much. So, yeah, that is an important fix. Um, and I think there is another fix, um, the, um, a, a recovery of exchange accounts from temporary connection problems. But uh, I don't have a, 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 a main uh, Apple device. Uh, I, I do have an iPad too, but it's gathering dust and is more, more of a test machine. So I can't elaborate much on that, uh, actually. So sorry about that. Okay. Oh, good. Uh, glad to see that uh, Apple's stepping up to uh, to resolve some of these issues. I know, um, <clears throat> you know, iOS devices, whether they're iPhones or iPads, are uh, are certainly becoming used more and more in the corporate environment, especially uh, tablets. So, uh, yeah. so kudos to them. I uh, I go on vacation tomorrow, and I I set my my uh, out of office, but I did it through Outlook. I didn't even think of trying it through my uh, my iPhone oh, yeah. there. But uh, glad to yeah. see that it's it's fixed. Um, things to know for migrating public folders to Exchange 2013. So uh, I've heard lots of things about uh, public folders lately. Um, mm. 
and there's lots of things to know when when migrating them. Uh, what's what's this one all about? This is uh, of course done by our own Steve Goodman. Yeah. Um, well, it's a, just a heads up article about um, um, what to think about before migrating your public folders to Exchange 2013. Um, as most of, of us know, the, the public folders are still present in Exchange 2013, but the infrastructure is completely different. Um, you don't have any public folder databases anymore. Um, actually, the data and the hierarchy of public folders is now stored in special public folder mailboxes. Um, and um, for the user end, it doesn't change anything uh, if you use Outlook. Um, but to migrate and on the um, um, infrastructure side, uh, a lot of things changed. Um, and those, those have impact when you migrate your public folders. Um, but uh, also, the, the other important things is that um, you have a lot of well, a lot of you have limitations with the new infrastructure. So you have to check um, your legacy public folders from Exchange 2007 and 2010 um, whether they uh, exceed those limitations that are present in Exchange 2013. Um, luckily, um, uh, the Microsoft Exchange product team is uh, working hard to um, um, relieve most of those limitations, um, such as uh, total item uh, uh, and uh, uh, total number of public folders, for instance. It was, was a big one. It was original 10,000. Uh, folder. So, if your exchange, uh, your legacy exchange environment had more than 10,000 uh, public folders, and and I've I've myself have encountered them that were close to that limit. Um, well, then you were you you ran in an issue or potential issue. It wasn't a hard limit, but it could uh, have a performance impact. But luckily, with uh, previous. Uh, uh, cumulative updates of Exchange uh, 2013 on-premises. Uh, those limitations are now currently in the most recent update to 250,000 public folders. So that's a major increase. Um, 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 and I think that they, they uh, are planning to make it even more. Uh, so um, and um, so that, that is the most talked about uh, limitation, but there are s several other uh, limitations. So uh, Check that, check that out in the article. Um, but I mentioned uh, Exchange 2013, and that's the on-premises uh, um, version. If you can go to Exchange Online, that has uh, even other uh, uh, limitations, and uh, also migration scenarios are um, um, a little bit different. For instance, you currently cannot migrate your public folders from Exchange 2013 to Exchange Online with native tools currently. So um, if you have a legacy uh, Exchange environment and you are migrating to uh, a hybrid Exchange 2013, take that into account that you have to uh, migrate that uh, in a different way um, or use third-party tools like MigrationWiz or, or other tools like that. Um, and um, well, in the article, Steve also mentions other things, um, 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 geographic um, um, considerations because of the new infrastructure. Um, you um, um, caveats like um, uh, compliance in place holding and auditing and stuff like that. Um, and and there are probably a lot more issues. Uh, these are more general. 
um, mentions of issues, um, but there are uh, quite quite a lot of uh, other blog posts that also have some uh, um, um, real-world tips uh, and issues when you uh, migrate. So. If you have public folders in a legacy environment and you want to migrate to Exchange 2013, at least take a quick look at the article of Steve, and, um, and do probably you probably have to investigate some more, um, uh, but uh, take those uh, warnings and considerations into account uh, with your migration plan. Okay, um, it reminds me of a, a migration that uh, I did when I was at a, a previous. Uh, company, and uh, they had some some public folders, and their migration uh, decision was they were not migrating the public folders, and they just basically yeah. told the users these are going away. Uh, yeah. by, the, by the time we migrate your account over, you'd better have another solution in place, and yeah. <laughs> which I thought was somewhat humorous, but uh, it certainly got rid of the uh, the public folders. Yeah, well, it it I've had that. Uh, discussion a lot of times, and especially because uh, Microsoft deprecated the public folders at one time, and then came uh, around about the decision because a lot of companies weren't happy with that. So, but in the meantime, I'm, I'm, a lot of organizations decided, well, we don't use it that much anymore, and we just want to remove them or change those public folders to shared mailboxes. So that's another option if you don't want to do a public folder migration is to um, consider using shared mailboxes, room mailboxes, um, uh, for for the functionality you use in, 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 in public folders, or perhaps even another third-party solution or SharePoint, for instance. In some cases, that, that could be that could work. Um, but uh, uh, well, that has uh, every organization has to decide that uh, for themselves. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Okay, um, and speaking of Steve, uh, he's uh, been writing up a storm lately. Uh, he's now released the fourth and final piece of his uh, using the hybrid configuration wizard in Exchange Server 2013. So, um, in this particular um, part, he goes through a bunch of tests to help validate things that are. Uh, that are working, uh, making sure everything's working okay, and uh, some good information here too, huh, Dave? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, I've done uh, some, uh, not as much as he did, but some Office 365 hybrid configurations, and um, um, it, it's uh, even though it's a, uh, it's called a wizard, it, you still have to do some some uh, checks and some um, uh, manual work, and this, especially this last part is a good um, uh, overview of all the checks you should perform uh, before going live or migrating your mailboxes to, to Exchange Online. Um, and it's a helpful overview and, and, and has some great tips. Um, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, if you're, uh, especially most organizations, you, you admins just only perform uh, a hybrid configuration just once because that's, yeah, you just have to do one organization. So uh, a lot of people don't have the experience to um, 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 validate that uh, uh, configuration uh, wizard. Uh, so this blog post is a, a great, uh, helpful tool um, uh, and, on, and helps you to, to consider all the things you have to test um, um, that are impacted by the hybrid configuration uh, uh, wizards. I, I wish I, he had it <laughs> published somewhat sooner. <laughs> I, I could use that myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Between him and uh, Michael Van Hybrid, um, a wealth of knowledge about uh, 
uh, stuff about hybrid configurations and things like that. So yeah, exactly. great stuff. Yeah. Kudos to Steve. Um, okay, IAS uh, exploits. Uh, Dave, you've got a blog oh dear, post yeah. coming out about this. Uh, so this is scaring me. Tell me what this is about. Um, well, yeah. So um, in um, uh, last Tuesday, so a few days ago, Microsoft released a patch um, that resolved a, um, um, a possible uh, remote code execution. Um, and um, that's uh, uh, described in uh, the Microsoft Security Bulletin MS15-034. Um, but unfortunately, the, the, the patch was uh, uh, apparently reverse engineered, and now a exploit or a way to exploit that um, um, uh, critical remote execution bug um, is now available. Um, the issue is that um, um, if you um, send a uh, GET request, an HTTP GET request to an internet-published uh, Windows server, and it's um, a Windows server 2008 R2 and up are affected by that, uh, as well as Windows 7. Um, if they are uh, internet-published, uh, a, a malicious attacker could send an uh, invalid header um, uh, an invalid header size range, and that could reboot your server. Um, it will, um, uh, you will see a blue screen of death, and then obviously the server will reboot. And the the scary thing is that uh, I've done some testing with an Exchange server. I couldn't replicate it with my uh, Exchange lab, but that could also be my testing method. Uh, but I've seen it with a uh, Active Directory uh, certificate services. Uh, server and I could uh, with just one line with the uh, curl uh, t- test tool uh, I could um, uh, reboot the server um, uh, with the bad header information and um, well you can do uh, several things um, well obviously install the patch on all your uh, uh, servers uh, especially your internet facing servers but um, as this patch uh, as if you don't have internet purpose servers, but you have internet web servers uh, in your internal network, those are vulnerable from the inside as well. Um, or you, if you have a firewall or load balance or, or any um, inspection tool, um, you can um, filter out any uh, bad headers or, or uh, those headers that are, are affecting this or are causing this. You could uh, filter those out. If you have the knowledge and the, the uh, appliances to do that, uh, another option is to disable ISS kernel caching. But unfortunately, that will cause uh, performance issues on your servers because it uh, uh, has more overhead. And for Exchange, could, that could mean that your Outlook and uh, OWA will be uh, a lot slower than that. Um, so that's the three main issues I've. I've Notice that um, uh, that if uh, if you would um, request a, a, a file, a static file uh, that 
with an invalid header, but it is behind a uh, authentication, then it doesn't work because um, ISS then requests first off a authentication, and if you don't have any credentials, so that file would be protected. But um, that's not always a practical solution, especially if you have an exchange of or a um, 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 form-based authentication uh, web server. Uh, obviously, those files aren't protected by any authentication, and that could be uh, those could be hit. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm writing up a blog post. There are several blog posts out there already about this, uh, but I found this uh, somewhat scary uh, that I decided to write my own and, and describe the solution and um, uh, or several solutions and, and, and the problem itself. So uh, uh, be be warned and, and look out for Microsoft Patch uh, uh, KB 3042553 and install that. As soon as possible. Okay, good. And so let's let's think about internet-facing um, Windows servers here. So from an Exchange perspective, if you had an Exchange Edge server, uh, Edge Transport server, that uh, would certainly apply there. Um, yeah. If you're doing some sort of uh, well, uh, so OWA, if you were just publishing that straight to the internet and not using some uh, reverse proxy. Um, well, I'm not sure whether the reverse proxy would uh, filter that out. Yeah, I guess it would depend on the reverse proxy. But th- but then you exactly. think about it, uh, your reverse proxy could be something like uh, Pirate Proxy, uh, you know, ARR, which is based on a Windows machine. Um, mm-hmm. So that that would certainly be something that you'd want to take a look at. And of course, uh, uh, as more of this uh, as this uh, uh, vulnerability uh, becomes more well known, there's probably going to be more information about. Uh, how it affects different resources, such as you know ARR boxes and edge transport boxes and uh, edge edge servers in um, in link and uh, um, you know whether it uh, affects uh, web services coming in through um, uh, a reverse proxy uh, into link or, or whatever the case may be. So. Yeah. Well, I've confirmed that, that at least with one situation with the load balancer that that um, I've uh, you you have two uh, ways you can detect the vulnerability or you can cause the the vulnerability and uh, cause a bug check or a reboot of your server. Uh, but the the interesting part is obviously the the uh, whether you are vulnerable for the um, for this exploit. Um, and I've confirmed it with, with one customer of mine that the load balancer didn't uh, block that uh, request and uh, uh, gave back that he that it's potentially uh, vulnerable. So, um, um, I, I, but um, as I said earlier, I couldn't confirm it on my Exchange Lab with with the um, malformed header. But um, it's it's best to uh, take caution and, and be on the safe side. Great. Well, I look forward to uh, to your blog post, and of course, we'll have a link to that on the summary page uh, sure. for this yeah. episode. Um, last up for Exchange, uh, the 2013 CPU sizing checker. Uh, yeah, new script on the uh, the TechNet gallery. So, what's this about? Well, um, it's it's um, um, well, the name is, is quite explanatory. Uh, it's the uh, CPU sizing checker. Um, and it, it takes into account the current hardware configuration, your user profile information from uh, a Exchange 2013 sizing calculator Excel sheet, um, and the current number of active and passive mailboxes on the server. And then it uh, attempts to give you an expected average peak CPU utilization. 
um, and it's based on the formulas in in uh, several sizing uh, 2013 deployment blocks. Um, so if you um, um, have if you deployed or are deploying Exchange 2013, um, uh, unfortunately I didn't have the chance to check this one out yet uh, because you have to have a, a housing, uh, access to Exchange server with the for, for which you have the Exchange 2013 sizing calculator and stuff like that. So um, it could predict uh, um, um, potential issues uh, with your configuration. Um, um, so it's, it's uh, again, uh, a very helpful tool um, to validate and, and, and check your, your implementation because that, that's always with Exchange. It's very important to have enough resources uh, for your organization. Um, and, and I've seen enough issues with, with um, two small sized uh, Exchange servers that uh, some, some people just, just put in one server and like, oh, well, just do two cores and that, that'll be fine and then you have performance issues. So um, this is, again, a, a very helpful tool. Next to the sizing calculator, this is sort of an, an extra uh, validation uh, for your uh, for sizing your 2013 or checking your 2013 environment. So, yeah. Um, I like the yeah. fact that it, it takes into account, you know, the, your original planning information and then verifies it against that versus mm. making, you know, some sort of assumptions and uh, trying to come up with uh, information for that. So uh, kudos to Microsoft for, or actually whoever wrote the, yeah, uh, again, Mark Nivens. Mark Nivens. Okay, <laughs> he, he, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he was on a roll with those two tools. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. This and this is uh, unfortunately I haven't looked at it very closely yet, but uh, I'm I'm uh, this is potentially again a, a must-have tool, just like the uh, 2013 sizing calculator. A must-have tool is for for designing and validating your Exchange 2013 environment. Uh, I think that this is uh, an, another another. Uh, must have tool in your tool set. So, so the fact that you know I have an Exchange server with uh, four gigs of RAM and, and one core is probably going to throw some alerts here. <laughs> probably, <laughs> if, if you could. Uh, well, yeah, you could. Yeah, it's just enough to ex install Exchange with the 13, but just enough. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it might take an hour for a message to get through it, but. Uh, yeah, let alone how, how long it takes to install it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, okay, Office 365 topics. So, uh, big one that I saw um, in the last uh, in the last few days was Office 365 now supporting email messages up to 150 megabytes. What yeah. are they thinking? We've spent all these years trying to tell people that you know yeah. Exchange is in Outlook is not a file store system, and they're just mm -hmm. they're just making it easier for people to kind of do just the opposite. Yeah, 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 sure. Um, well, it, it's it's uh, well they do be fair. They they warn for this specifically in the blog post, um, but um, at least. Having some flexibility uh, in your exchange tenant um, is 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 very welcome because before this the default 
maximum message size was uh, 25 megabytes. Um, so, and that is still the default setting uh, for all mailboxes in Office 365. So that, there's that. You have to do it um, very consciously um, and edit the, the settings for your whole, uh, whole environment or just for, for a, a few mailboxes. Um, and so, but um, yeah, the, the, it's still uh, some organizations uh, have sometimes have a requirement for a, a larger um, um, mailbox or items or, or attachments or some, something like that. Um, but um, to be fair, I, I've never set it higher than 50 megabytes. Um, and if, if larger was required and uh, use something else. And especially if you're already on Office 365, you could use your um, OneDrive for Business um, storage and link attachments via uh, uh, OneDrive for Business without having the attachment in your mail. So um, in most cases, that would be still the preferable solution. Uh, but yeah, sometimes, for, for instance, if you have a hybrid exchange configuration, um, uh, which was configured with a little bit higher um, 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 maximum message size. Now you can have uh, both your on-premises Exchange servers and your Exchange Online servers on par so that you don't run into issues that um, 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 on-prem users don't have and online users do have. So uh, I do applaud the, the extra flexibility, but uh, I would have been okay if the maximum message size was uh, about 100 megs, but uh, you you lose some some some. Um, um, it's the the 150 megabytes is included uh, with the uh, conversion and, and and overhead and stuff like that. Um, but but still, um, probably uh, more than than is uh, necessary or uh, sane, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think the best uh, tweet I saw on this subject was, if you're sending me a 150 meg attachment, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah, I think that was from uh, Abram Jackson from, from, from the Exchange product team. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, basically that, yeah. Um, so I, I would have been okay if they limited it to, to let's say, uh, 75 mega, megabytes or 100 megabytes. That would have been okay with me, but apparently they, they thought that a lot of customers required this. So, okay, well... I prefer that users then um, um, revert to OneDrive for Business or something like that, and use that as a uh, attachment, a means to to share documents. Right, and you and you kind of hit on it earlier that um, um, this doesn't mean you can send a 150 meg file. This means that, including the conversion and and mm-hmm. you know, all that MIME conversion, that the total of the message can be 150 meg. You know, yeah. but the, th- the the thing that comes to mind here is that um, so you can send a 150 meg uh, email message out. That doesn't mean that somebody in some other organization is going to be able to receive that message. Exactly. Uh, you know, if they're in one, if they're in uh, Office 365 and they've made the the suitable change, that's one thing. Um, th- I think the only time that I've ever had somebody request a big change. Uh, increase in file sizes available was uh, organizations that dealt with CAD files that needed to be sent around. 
Um, you know, you still you still work to get the organization to get away from using Exchange as a file store system and, and throw yeah. it in, you know, OneDrive for business or or a local file share or whatever the case may be. And you know, sometimes that's it's it's difficult to to get organizations to do it. Sometimes it's not. But um, you know, just because you can send it out doesn't mean that uh, that the person on the other end of it's going to be able to receive it. So you need to take that into exactly. consideration. Yeah, and that, that is why I, I rarely uh, um, increase that maximum uh, beyond the 50 megabytes. And, and mostly, I just ask, do you know whether the, your partner that that you are mailing with could receive those messages? So, yeah. So it, it, it's like I said, it's uh, nice to have some flexibility, but um, I'm probably okay if you leave it default and just use uh, other tools to uh, collaborate with or share your documents with. So now that we have this uh, fancy schmancy 150 meg limit, uh, what does this do for uh, EWS? Is there a, ch- a change there? Uh, unfortunately, no. So the, the, the Exchange web services are still limited on the 25 megabytes uh, limit. So um, if you have any third-party solutions that use e- EWS, then you're still limited to 25 megabytes. Oh, okay. That's good to know. I'm sure uh, people would have probably been running in circles trying to figure that out when they're sending some big uh, message through. Yeah. So, okay. Well, thanks, Dave. Okay. Uh, next, just something that's kind of interesting. doesn't really provide any uh, value other than, um, than that is uh, the Office 365 data center map. Um, so now you can look at uh, a map, uh, powered by Bing, of course, uh, and see where Office 365 data centers are throughout the, uh, throughout the world and what uh, particular services are, um, are serviced by that particular data center. So that's kind of cool. I was just looking at, uh, at North America, and uh, I see, like, all the Link Online data centers and... Uh, Exchange Online, SharePoint Online, uh, Dynamics, all that. It's uh, it's quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. Um, uh, next up, our own uh, uh, Michael Van Hybrid uh, is, uh, made the announcement that uh, Office 365 for Exchange Professionals ebook uh, is, is being worked on. And uh, uh, kind of a, a lofty uh, group of people working on that particular book, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, well, it concludes obviously a microphone hybrid uh, in himself, but also a, uh, Exchange MVP uh, Paul Cunningham, which which we all probably know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul's a member know. of our group. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Tony Redmond is uh, also Exchange, a long time Exchange MVP, and uh, also is is working on that as an author. Um, and uh, Jeff Guillet. I'm, I'm hoping uh, yep, every that's time right. I'm hoping that's right. Okay, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and he's the technical editor, so that's that's uh, well, they they help to to deliver a high quality, up to date, and relevant information ebook. But with those names, I'm I'm pretty sure that that will be the case. Oh yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's no uh, no sloths uh, in that group there. That's uh, yeah, sure. That's pretty good. <clears throat> so all right, well, kudos to. Uh, to Michael and Paul and Tony and uh, and Jeff for uh, going through the effort there, so uh, we'll have to do a review on it once it's out. So yeah, sure. All right, uh, over to Link. So now uh, Dave gets to go to sleep and uh, Tim gets to do some <laughs> talking here. <laughs> uh, Tim, potential impact on Link and Skype for business meeting joins with uh, Google Chrome. It's probably a probably a good thing that John's not here today. 
Yeah, I was about to Whoa. say, uh, John, John always thinks that nobody uses Google products, but apparently there was enough folks out in the world that do to, to warrant this KB article. Um, but basically what Google Chrome is doing is deprecating support for the Netscape plugin API. Uh, apparently, uh, Link uses that for the meeting join experience. So there is a KB published, uh, which we'll link to, and it'll have some workarounds. Uh, basically, what was happening uh, with this deprecation is that when you click the join meeting, uh, it would launch the meeting in the web experience instead of the rich desktop client. So there are some workarounds. You can re-enable that uh, Netscape plugin API support in the browser. Uh, and then approve the plugin uh, within the browser. So we will link to that to our in our uh, website. Yeah, we've got uh, links to both the TechNet article that describes it and the KB article. Uh, well, and it's not the the first time that Google Chrome has has broken some some functionality. Especially me, me as an Exchange guy, has some run-ins with the uh, uh, features that are were deprecated and stuff like that. So. Uh, and it's always Chrome. Isn't yep. it? <laughs> yeah. Microsoft tries to deprecate stuff, but they just can't. They keep bringing it back, yeah. and then Google just says, that eh, you're deprecated, and then moves yeah. on. And yeah. you get screaming for a couple of days, and then you move on. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> so there's something to be said for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, PBX replacement secret sauce. Uh, how to do a loud ringer in uh, Link and Skype for Business. So this was pretty interesting timing by uh, uh, Jonathan McKinney, who's one of the Skype uh, for Business MVPs and an MCM. Um, you know, and we get this uh, doing consulting where organizations have, say, a, a factory floor, manufacturing room, or whatever, uh, with some loud machinery or whatever the case may be. And and how do you notify them that that a link call is coming in or a Skype for Business call? So, um, you know, Jonathan uh, put together uh, an article on how to do it. Um, using an FXS port on your uh, gateway and uh, some other uh, some other items, and goes through step by step on on how to set it up, including all the all the PowerShell commands to to set it up in Link, and uh, and provide that functionality. So, um, kudos to uh, to Jonathan for uh, for getting that out to us. Uh, next up, here's uh, something uh, that will really help with uh, preparing your users for Skype for Business, the Skype for Business Client Awareness and Readiness Resources. Uh, kind of a mouthful there, but a honking big uh, download, wouldn't you say, Tim? Yeah, it's quite the download, but it includes quite a bit of stuff. So it's it's your typical uh, public-facing readiness uh, material for your for your business. So it has the how-to videos, it has email templates, so that to introduce your to users to Skype for Business client, and it has some. Um, so different frequency type email templates to email out as you're going through that progress or that transformation within your business. Also includes uh, quick reference guides. So you're, uh, if you're aware of previous adoption toolkits for Link, uh, there's some great quick reference tool guides around, you know, just the client itself, navigating around the client or navigating around the meeting experience, making phone calls. All that stuff is in is updated with the new Skype for Business uh, .NET Arenas toolkit. So great download, especially if you're in charge of communication or enablement within your organization to use these resources as needed. And what's also great is that they've included a couple different formats uh, for the uh, documents. So there's some editable 
uh, formats and also some PDF formats within that. Yeah, good stuff. I know I've uh, in fact, I mentioned this before we started recording. I've written some provisioning solutions to, uh, you know, when you enable a user to uh, for Enterprise Voice or Link in general, it automatically sends out an email uh, with some attachments. And the fact that uh, Microsoft has come out with some Skype for Business uh, reference cards uh, means you can get that information into the hands of the users and uh, hopefully cut down on, uh, you know, all the question marks uh, in the in the help desk phone ringing. Um, the fact that there's videos are nice, you know, if your organization has a training solution, uh, SharePoint or or uh, the modality uh, train me solution, which utilizes uh, the link client to um, to show videos to users for training. Um, you know, there's nine videos here that uh, uh, a plethora of information. So, um, you know, as we mentioned, uh, it's a 650 meg download, but uh, looks like some quality information here. So should help uh, train your users. Uh, next up, um, of course, with the, the release of uh, Skype for Business client and the uh, impending uh, release of Skype for Business server, uh, we're starting to see a flood of uh, documentation coming out from uh, Microsoft. So the Skype for Business server 2015 documentation is now live on TechNet. Uh, most of the stuff that I've seen so far is, um, you know, the same documentation uh, uh, documents for all the different commandlets. They now just have a uh, Escape for Business server uh, version of it, uh, most of which is all the same as Link uh, 2013. But um, So now you're starting to see all this documentation out, and you can read up on it and find out uh, more information before, uh, before you deploy Escape for Business. Yeah, the one thing that I haven't seen or heard about yet is that they're going to offer an offline CHM version of the documents. Do you know, Pat, have you heard of anything? I have not heard that yet. Okay. Always enjoy the CHM just from a searchability standpoint. It's hard to search TechNet uh, efficiently, but those CHMs are also always great for that. Yeah, the, the, the only thing that I, I see with the CHM, and I, I've got a uh, an option in my um, set CS2013 features script for doing prereqs, is that there's no update mechanism for uh, CHM files. So, you know, you open up, you download it now, and, and in three months when there's a new version out, there's uh, there's nothing that says, hey, there's a new version. Do you want to check for it? Or, or hey, you haven't checked in a while. Um, I just wish there was a, a better way of, uh, of managing that component. But I, I agree, the, the, the chum file is really great. Uh, uh, it's what I <laughs> tend to look through a lot while I'm on flights and stuff and don't have Internet access. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, a quick mention. The link meeting update tool uh, has been updated. Uh, Tim and I both looked through the article. We couldn't figure out what's been changed, but it has been updated in the last uh, couple of days. Um, and if you need to use this tool, if you move a user from one pool to another, um, you can use this tool to move their calendar or their uh, meeting content uh, in configuration over to uh, the new pool. Um, I haven't really had to use this a lot. Have you, Tim? No, I haven't at all. So Okay. Um, um, Still I, puzzled by it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you move a user and you use the move conference, is it move conferencing data switch? Um, mm-hmm. Then when the user uh, launches the client, they may see a, a prompt that says, "Hey, your um, your meetings, uh, you've been moved, and your meetings need to be updated." Um, there's two ways you can go about doing it. You can open up each of your meetings that you've. Uh, uh, that you're the per, uh, organizer for and just, uh, you know, send an update or you can use this tool and it goes through and updates everything accordingly. So, um, but it's been updated. So uh, check it out. 
next up, here's uh, here's something for all you poster lovers, uh, myself included. The uh, Skype for Business 2015 Protocol Workloads poster. Uh, Tim, have you printed it out and hung it on your wall yet? <laughs> I love these posters. Uh, to me, this is one of the top Microsoft downloads that I look forward to uh, with every version. And I know that makes me a geek, but uh, if you love geeking out on ports and protocols and flows for every single workload down to the bit and byte level, uh, you got to get this poster. And it, you know, it's to me, it's a great deliverable just to hand to a client too. So they always want to understand, hey, what's this going to do to my network? You know, if I deploy this workload, what's this going to do? You have the answer with this poster, and and visually, it's 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 very readable and it's very understandable. Um, so to me, it's it's one of the top downloads uh, in my opinion. And it also includes some other information with uh, certificate requirements, DNS requirements. Um, so it's it's an all around, it's an all up uh, great resource. But no, I haven't printed it. Uh, do people still print stuff? I don't know. I, I just <laughs> well, well, it's hard the to find electronic a, version. So yeah, it's hard to find a, a like a plotter that'll that'll print something this big. But um, yeah, you know, I know always. Well, with the, the, the exchange posters, they, they uh, always have some uh, printouts uh, made, and, and you can pick them up at, at a conference. At least I have uh, a 2010 and a 2013 poster, so maybe that. Yeah. Maybe then then is, you uh, just have to fight to uh, make sure that it gets mm. that survives the trip home without being completely shredded or, uh, you know, mangled. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming they'll have uh, some posters that Ignite to hand out. So. Yeah, um, and, and what's nice, too, is... Um, uh, this particular poster comes in both uh, the PDF and the the Visio version, so um, you can update things um, accordingly, which would be really nice, you know, to customize it to your own environment or to a customer's environment. Um, so and and yeah, based um, on the workloads that they deployed, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, and any customization, and uh, you know, I'm I'm sure that um, just like the the Link 2013 posters, uh, it'll. It'll, it'll occasionally get updated as new features are added or as things are clarified or if there's any mistakes discovered or whatever the, the case may be. But, um, you know, it's this poster is definitely, just like the previous ones, information overload. Uh, but it's a good reference to have hanging on your wall. Did you uh, see any differences between uh, with Link 2013 server or is it just a, a sort of a rebranding this poster? It's definitely a rebranding update. They've updated all the, the stencils um, and made it more Skype for businessy from a font and, and look perspective. But they've also included a lot more of the Office 365 hybrid uh, scenarios, okay. um, which I think was a little lacking in the previous posters. But yeah, well, I plus, mean, plus there's, a, honest, there's a much bigger um, uh, dependence on Office 365 and hybrid mode for some of the advanced features in Skype for Business. Yeah, but to be honest, it's mostly a rebranding uh, from the previous ones, but it is definitely updated. Um, and I'm, I'm actually looking through it right now. I don't see um, – oh, they do have, like, um, call manager information in here. That's pretty cool. Well, that's for the uh, video interrupt server. Yeah, that's yeah, Viz. Yep, I see that right above that. With the so, new roles, yeah. Yep. So, all right, kudos to that. Okay, um, Federation Call Flow for uh, Skype for Business and uh, Link clients. So even more uh, information overload here. So, um, Tim, what's up with this? I mean, uh, uh, this particular article from uh, Richard Schwendemann is, 
is pretty detailed. Lots of information about uh, how Federation call flow works. Yeah, it's just a great scenario-based article. So it, it's always uh, confusing for people to understand how media flows based on circumstances. And with Federation, that's even a little bit more complicated because you can still attend other companies' meetings if you aren't federated with them. And what does that mean with the call flow if you are federated versus not federated? And is it anonymous or is it going through your edge server? So Richard does a good job of going through each of the scenarios uh, based on if you are federated, if you're not federated, based on what client you're actually using. Uh, so it is a good uh, detailed scenario-based article. Um, and just to give a plug to, to Richard, if you don't follow his blog, you should, because he always has the he always hits a good technical level um, with his articles. Yeah, excellent stuff. Uh, okay, and that does it for uh, link content. Uh, oh no, one one more thing. Sorry, almost forgot uh, this really cool tool. The uh, client tool is available for download now. So Eli Shlomo is a uh, Microsoft employee, I think, in Israel. And uh, he has a blog post on, uh, on TechNet about a neat little um, Skype for Business client tool that gives you a bunch of buttons that basically just kind of streamline some processes. Uh, full reset profile, enable tracing logging, um, forcing the download of the address book, uh, switching between uh, the Skype and link um, skins and things like that. So a uh, nice little tool. Uh, we'll have a link to it on the summary page and uh, uh, check it out. And that does it for all the link content for this week. Uh, the only other thing we have here is uh, some events. Obviously, Ignite. Uh, Tim, you'll be there, right? Absolutely. And uh, Dave, you'll be there? Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, I think we've got... Uh, uh, six or seven of the UC architects that will be there. And, of course, we're having our uh, annual uh, party with Event Zero. So we look forward to seeing people uh, at the Adler uh, Planetarium there for that. We'll be giving away stuff from a bunch of different uh, vendors, including uh, Kemp, who's really stepped up this year, and uh, Busy Light and Modality Systems and uh, Logitech. And all the big players are, are uh, donating stuff, so we appreciate that. Um, we'll look forward to seeing you Monday evening. And I'm pleased to uh, announce that sometime during Ignite, most likely on Thursday, we will be doing a live episode recording. So stop by, see uh, all the uh, UC architects that are there at Ignite, shake our hands, tell us what you think, heckle us, uh, join in for some Q&A, whatever the case may be. We look forward to seeing you there. Um, also, uh, the UC bug meeting is May 13th. Uh, we'll get to the, a link to the summary page. Uh, and uh, UC Day UK is in uh, September. And um, Andrew and uh, Steve and uh, Jason Wine and uh, Ian Smith from Modality and Adam Gent and Tom Arbuthnot uh, are all presenting. You can now submit uh, sessions if you want to uh, be a presenter. So we'll get uh, a link to that out if, uh, if you're brave enough to try to do that. And uh, UC Expo, um, our own Tom Arbuthnot is going to be speaking at that as well. So um, if you get a chance, uh, stop by and say hi to Tom and uh, uh, let him know what you think of the podcast, good or bad. And that wraps it up for this particular episode. I want to thank uh, uh, Dave and Tim for stopping by. Tim, it's great to finally uh, reconnect with you. Look forward to seeing both of you guys at uh, Ignite. Uh, a word about our sponsor, uh, Event Zero has the most advanced analytics and reporting for Link and Skype for Business available today. With over 12,000 reports, power lists, and dashboards, 
The comprehensive tool set covers all modalities in a high level of detail, many of which provide administrators real-time feedback about their environments. Watch for their new Polycom VVX provisioning tool coming very soon. To check them out, go to eventzero.com. And I'll add my own uh, two cents there that the official uh, Polycom VVX provisioning tool and their whole version 5.0 product release is happening during our party at Ignite. So uh, if you want to check it out, stop by. We're going to be showing it off. It's really cool. And finally, before we go, as ever, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Visit our website today at uh, theucarchitects.com. Follow us on Twitter at theucarchitects. Be a friend and like us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash theucarchitects and on our LinkedIn group. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you'll find us in the iTunes store, the Zoom Marketplace. Search for us in the new WinPhone 8.5 podcast app or subscribe to the podcast using the RSS feed in your uh, podcast downloader. See our website for links to everything on the show today. We'll see you back for the next episode with Steve Hosting. Hosting.